This is Talking Asset Management with KPMG. And today, we're talking about the five SEC priorities for the asset management industry. Hello, and thanks for listening to Talking Asset Management with KPMG. I'm Sean McKee, national leader for KPMG's public investment management practice. Back with me again is Matt Giordano, our deputy leader for our public investment management practice. Hi, Matt. Hi, Sean. How are you today? Doing well. So great to have you here. And Matt, Chair Gensler recently spoke to the Asset Management Advisory Committee and walked through the SEC's priorities or projects for the industry. Can you summarize what those are? Thanks, Sean. So the speech that the chair made was really not a long speech, but it focused on five areas. And those are fund disclosure, digital engagement practices, private funds, the fund name rule, or the names rule as it's known, and finally, money market funds and open-end funds. Great. So Matt, when you talk about fund disclosures, what do you think Chair Gensler is really focused on? Sure, Sean. I think the chair is very focused on enhanced transparency to shareholders, and that's been really thematic through his regulatory agenda. And you can see this in a number of different rules. And the first example I'll give you is the recent SEC rulemaking on the enhanced proxy voting disclosure that registered funds have to provide to shareholders. Another example where the SEC is focused on transparency or disclosure is if you look at the spring rulemaking agenda, one of the items is around rules related to investment companies and investment advisors to address related ESG factors. And to me, I think that's really going to be a disclosure type rule. If you look at the Corp Fin side of the house, which would definitely have an effect or could have an effect on fund boards and what they have to disclose, certain things like corporate board diversity, human capital management, climate change disclosure. Like those are areas where the advisor or the board will really have to be transparent about some of the items that are that are important to the SEC and quite frankly important to investors. If you think about the private fund side, the chair has been very vocal that he believes there should be enhanced transparency around private fund fees, around certain aspects of side letters. And when I usually talk about disclosure and transparency to shareholders, the way that I think about it and the best way to stay out of trouble is to really say what you do and do what you say. And I think that that's kind of a overall high level, good way to view disclosure. So, Sean, the the next item that the chair talked about was digital enhancement practices, and I think that could mean a lot of things. Is that robo-advisors? Is it some of these non-fungible tokens? Is it cryptocurrency? What do you really think that the chair is focused on? Yeah, I think it it comes down to both. I think it comes down to to product automation uh, as well as... um, marketing practices, inclusive of uh, robo-advice. And I found it very interesting that Chair Gensler noted that, like, never before asset managers can tailor their marketing and products to individual investors. And where there's really a focus and some degree of concern is whether that tailoring is providing advice that may not always be consistent with the fiduciary obligations of an advisor. 
and really taking a look at those practices and, and, and stepping back and saying, are these practices, do they create any conflicts? Do they create any issues where you're not putting the client's interest first? So I think as you're, you're thinking about it from your, your own firm's um, practices, you really want to ask, when we're designing these things, are we putting the client's interest first? And have we involved compliance the way that we should? Because a lot of these are, I mean, what we're talking about is automated processes. So has compliance been involved up front in the design? They're almost always involved in the back end reviewing things. But have they been involved up front in the design? Do they have a thorough understanding of how those practices transpire and any potential conflicts and how those conflicts are being managed? So I think when you, you just think about it, uh, really ask yourself that. And then I just have a strong recommendation that you really do involve compliance up front in those processes as you design them. Obviously, you're going to have them involved in monitoring and reviewing and testing, but get them involved up front because the problem is once you set these processes up, if you haven't involved compliance and you find an issue at the end, it's so much more cumbersome and costly to go back in and fix things. So I think that's where a lot of that concern uh, lies. Uh, Matt, a question for you. You know, another focus area, and you, you touched upon this a little bit earlier, but uh, another focus area that was mentioned was private funds. Can you tell us a little bit about that priority and what that entails? Sure, Sean, and this is certainly a focus of the chair. You know, he recently gave a speech to the Institutional Limited Partners Association, and during that speech, he basically says it's time to bring more sunshine and competition to private funds. And he goes on to talk about three policy principles, which gives us some of our own sunshine on how we think the chair intends to regulate the private funds during his tenure. He talks about efficiency and competition and transparency and market integrity and, and resilience. And then he goes on to mention five areas that are really ripe for transformation. At a high level, I'm going to go through each of these areas, but we have a detailed podcast where we talk about this with Igor Rosenblatt. So I would definitely tell you to tune into that for, for more details. But high level, the first item is fees and expenses. And his focus is around the fact that private funds really have multiple levels of fees and expenses. And he talks about performance fees and management fees, and there may be fees at the portfolio companies. And then the chair goes on to add that he wonders if investors really have enough transparency with respect to these sort of fees and whether or not the limited partners have consistency and comparable information when they're trying to make an informed investment decision. So I do think that this will be a big focus area. The next item he talks about is side levers. And this is interesting to me because he starts out saying that side letters can essentially create preferred liquidity, preferred disclosure, and certain entities can negotiate better fees than others. And he asked the staff to look into these side letters and whether or not some should be permitted and whether some should be prohibited going forward. Now, my view on the side letters is that he wants everybody to get the lowest fee that they can. This will be interesting to see where he goes with the side letters. He talks about performance metrics. 
I don't think that the SEC has any issues with the IRR. You know, we keep hearing, well, is this an IRR type issue? My gut is that this is just transparency and giving folks more transparency across the industry. The chair also talks about fiduciary duties and conflicts of interest and basically says, you know, sometimes you try to waive your state fiduciary duty. You, you can't waive your fiduciary duty under the 40 Act. And then he goes on to talk about conflicts of interest. And he asked the staff whether there needs to be prohibitions on certain conflicts of interest. And this is an area that I think he's very focused on is conflicts and, and potential prohibitions. And the last item he mentions is Form PF. And he essentially says, Form PF's been out there for a number of years. We need to refresh it. Doesn't really say much more. But again, I think that the view is that when you put this information out to the public, you become more transparent. So I, I think that that's where he's going. Uh, high level, this would be one of the most transformative rulemakings in the private sector, probably since Dodd-Frank. So th this would take a lot to get through. Um, but I, I think that this is an area that we should all be focused Sean, just to switch gears a little bit, the last two items are around the, the names rule and then money market funds and open-end funds. And what I find a little bit interesting about this coming up on the list is we just had a major money market reform and money market rulemaking. And also, when you think about open-end funds, we've had a number of open-end fund rulemakings, including the derivatives rule, the liquidity rule, um, information that, that's disclosed on Endport. So w what else is out there? What's the SEC really thinking? Yeah, I, well, I think this falls under the, if you have a market shock, and obviously we had a market shock at, at the initial start of the pandemic, but when you have a market shock, it really tests the markets. So it's always good to reevaluate how things worked and how you can improve markets and, and regulation to make it work even better going forward. So with the open-end funds, they actually did really well uh, during that market shock. Of course, there's always concerns with products whose investment liquidity does not match up well with their equity obligations to their shareholders. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a revisit to liquidity guidance although I think it will be more around uh, tweaking the guidance as opposed to uh, significant alterations to the guidance. But we'll see. We'll see if I'm forecasting right or not. Um, but that's that's my take on it. On the money market funds, that there was a little more shock to the system. And there's clearly a desire by regulators in the U.S. and globally to revisit money market funds and money markets in general and how they handle such shocks and to really thread a needle between a need to have active money markets uh, to fund businesses with short-term liquidity needs, but also decreasing the risk of government backstops for money market fund products uh, during times of shock. So it's going to be interesting to see how they thread that needle because there's real needs on both sides. I think at the end of the day, I think it will be about doing something to allow money market funds to be more nimble as to how they deal with investors during these periods of market shock, coupled with increased education and other forms of communication that make it even more clear to investors that during these times of market shock, 
that there is a real risk of loss on these products uh, and making that really resonate more than it has in the past uh, with the investor community. So I think that's that's where those items will stand. And, you know, with respect to fund naming, Matt, uh, nobody's probably more expert at it than you because you've dealt with it quite a bit when you were at the staff. So what are your thoughts on fund naming? We would have a weekly meeting at the staff and we would spend an outsized amount of time on the names rule. And, And that's because the rule is very clunky. When Gensler talks about this, he essentially says he sees a number of funds that are marketing themselves as green in, in by marketing, I mean in the name as green or sustainable or low carbon. And he's basically saying, what do they mean and what criteria and underlying data are they using to make these claims? And under the names rule, you have essentially an 80% test when it comes to whether you're whether you're fulfilling the names rule. And there's ESGs or ESG funds or sustainable funds right now that have the name rule associated with them and others that don't. So right now there's not even uniformity among certain types of funds with those aspects in their name. So I think this will be really interesting. And I do think it'll be beneficial to the industry to have some sort of names rule that's that's a little more tangible. Yeah, very interesting. I also think it'll be a focus area in inspections and potentially enforcement. So, well, Matt, this has been extremely helpful and informative. Thank you for joining me today. And thank you all for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to me, Matt, or any of our KPMG colleagues if you have any questions about this or anything else. Good day. Thanks for listening to Talking Asset Management with KPMG. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit read.kpmg.us forward slash talking dash asset dash management for more information.